Chapter Six of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Six by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Father and Daughter, Part One. Ignorant of Fleur de Marie's being the prince's daughter, Madame d'Arville, in the fullness of her delight at restoring to him his protege, had not reckoned upon its being necessary to observe any particular precaution in presenting her young companion whom she merely left in the carriage until she had ascertained whether rodolph chose to make known his real name and rank to the object of his bounty and to receive her at his own house but perceiving the deep alteration in his features and struck with the visible gloom which overspread them as well as the marks of recent tears so evident in his sunken eye clemence became alarmed with the idea that some fresh misfortune greater than the loss of la goualeuse would be considered had suddenly occurred wholly losing sight, therefore, of the original cause of her visit, she anxiously exclaimed, "'For heaven's sake, my lord, what has happened?' "'Do you not know, madame? Then all hope is at an end. Alas, your earnest manner, the interview so unexpectedly sought by you, all made me believe. Let me entreat of you not to think for a moment of the cause of my visit, but in the name of that parent whose life you have preserved.' I adjure you to explain to me the cause of the deep affliction in which I find you plunged. Your paleness, your dejection, terrify me. Oh, be generous, my lord, and relieve the cruel anxiety I suffer. Wherefore should I burden your kind heart with the relation of woes that admit of no relief? Your words, your hesitation, but increase my apprehensions. Oh, my lord, I beseech you tell me all. Sir Walter, will you not take pity on my fears? For the love of heaven, explain the meaning of all this. What has befallen the prince? Nay, interrupted Rodolph, in a voice that vainly struggled for firmness. Since you desire it, madame, learn that since I acquainted you with the death of Fleur de Marie, I have learned she was my own daughter. Your daughter? exclaimed Clémence, in a tone impossible to describe. Fleur de Marie, your daughter? And when just now you desired to see me, to communicate tidings that would fill me with joy. Pardon and pity the weakness of a parent half distracted at the loss of his newly found treasure. I ventured to hope. But no, no, I see too plainly I was mistaken. Forgive me. My brain seems wandering, and I scarce know what I say or do. And then, sinking under the failure of this last fond imagination of his heart, and unable longer to struggle with his black despair, Rodolph threw himself back in his chair and covered his face with his hands, while Madame d'Arville, astonished at what she had just heard, remained motionless and silent, scarcely able to breathe amid the conflicting emotions which took possession of her mind. At one instant, glowing with delight at the thoughts of the joy she had it in her power to impart, then trembling for the consequences her explanation might produce on the over-excited mind of the prince. Both these reflections were, however, swallowed up in the enthusiastic gratitude which she felt in the consideration that to her had been deputed the happiness not only of announcing to the grief-stricken father that his child still lived but that the unspeakable rapture of placing that daughter in her parents arms was likewise vouchsafed to her carried away by a burst of pious thankfulness and wholly forgetting the presence of rodolph and murphy madame d'harville threw herself on her knees and clasping her hands exclaimed in a tone of fervent piety and ineffable gratitude. Thanks, thanks, my God, for this exceeding goodness. Ever blessed be thy gracious name for having permitted me to be the happy bearer of such joyful tidings. 
to wipe away a father's tears by telling him his child lives to reward his tenderness. Although these words, pronounced with the sincerest fervor and holy ecstasy, were uttered almost in a whisper, yet they reached the listening ears of Rodolph and his faithful squire. And as Clémence rose from her knees, the prince gazed on her lovely countenance, irradiated as it was with celestial happiness and beaming with more than earthly beauty, with an expression almost amounting to adoration. Supporting herself with one hand, while with the other she sought to still the rapid beating of her heart, Madame d'Harville replied by a sweet smile and an affirmative inclination of the head to the eager, soul-searching look of Rodolphe, a look wholly beyond our poor powers to describe. "'And where is she?' exclaimed the prince, trembling like a leaf. "'In my carriage.' But for the intervention of Murphy, who threw himself before Rodolphe with the quickness of lightning, the latter would have rushed to the vehicle. "'Would you kill her, my lord?' exclaimed the squire, forcibly retaining the prince. "'She was merely pronounced convalescent yesterday,' added Clémence. "'Therefore, as you value her safety, do not venture to try the poor girl's strength too far.' "'You are right,' said Rodolph, scarcely able to restrain himself sufficiently to follow this prudent advice. "'You are quite right. Yes, I will be calm. I will not see her at present. I will wait until her first emotions have subsided.' "'Oh, tis too much to endure in so short a space of time.' Then, addressing Madame d'Harville, he said, in an agitated tone, while he extended to her his hand, "'I feel that I am pardoned, and that you are the angel of forgiveness who brings me the glad tidings of my remission.' "'Nay, my lord, we do but mutually requite our several obligations. You preserve to me my father, and heaven permits me to restore your daughter at a time you bewailed her as lost.' but i too must beg to be excused for the weakness which resists all my endeavours to control it the sudden and unexpected news you have communicated to me has quite overcome me and i confess i should not have sufficient command over myself to go in quest of fleur de marie my emotion would terrify her and by what means was she preserved exclaimed rodolph and whose hand snatched her from death i am most ungrateful not to have put these questions to you earlier she was rescued from drowning by a courageous female who snatched her from a watery grave just as she was sinking do you know who this female was i do and to-morrow she will be at my house the debt is immense rejoined the prince but i will endeavour to repay it heaven must have inspired me with the idea of leaving fleur de marie in the carriage said the marquise had i brought her in with me the shock must have killed her now then said the prince who had been for some minutes occupied in endeavouring to subdue his extreme agitation. I can promise you, my kind friends, that I have my feelings sufficiently under control to venture to meet my—my— Daughter. Go, Murphy, and fetch her to my longing arms. Rodolph pronounced the word daughter with a tenderness of voice and manner impossible to describe. Are you quite sure you are equal to the trying scene, my lord? inquired Clémence for we must run no risks with one in fleur-de-marie's delicate state oh yes yes be under no alarm i am too well aware of the dangerous consequences any undue emotion would occasion my child be assured i will not expose her to anything of the sort but go go my good murphy i beseech you hasten to bring her hither don't be alarmed madame said the squire who had attentively scrutinized the countenance of the prince 
she may come now without danger. I am quite sure that His Royal Highness will sufficiently command himself. Then go, go, my faithful friend. You are keeping me in torments. Just give me one minute, my lord, said the excellent creature, drying the moisture from his eyes. I must not let the poor thing see I have been crying. There, there, that will do. I should not like to cross the antechamber looking like a weeping Magdalene. So saying, the squire proceeded towards the door, but suddenly turning back, he said, But, my lord, what am I to say to her? Yes, what had he better say? inquired the Prince of Clémence. That Monsieur Rodolphe wishes to see her, nothing more. Oh, to be sure, how stupid of me not to think of that. Monsieur Rodolphe wishes to see her, capital, excellent repeated the squire who evidently partook of madame d'harville's nervousness and sought to defer the moment of his embassy by one little pretext and the other that will not give her the least suspicion not the shadow of a notion what she is wanted for nothing better could have been suggested but still murphy stirred not sir walter said clemence smiling you are afraid well i won't deny it said the squire and in spite of my standing six feet high, I feel and know I am trembling like a child. Then take care, my good fellow, said Rodolphe. You had better wait a little longer if you do not feel quite sure of yourself. No, no, my lord, I have got the upper hand of my fears this time, replied Murphy, pressing his two Herculean fists to his eyes. I know very well that at my time of life it is ridiculous for me to show such weakness. I'm going, my lord, don't you be uneasy. So saying, Murphy left the room with a firm step and composed countenance. A momentary silence followed his departure, and then, for the first time, Clémence remembered she was alone with the prince and under his roof. Rodolphe drew near to her and said, with an almost timid voice and manner, If I select this day, this hour, to divulge to you the dearest secret of my heart, it is that the solemnity of the present moment may give greater weight to that I would impart, and persuade you to believe me sincere, when I assure you I have loved you almost from the hour I first beheld you. While obstacles stood in the way of my love, I studiously concealed it. But you are now free to hear me declare my affection, and to ask you to become a mother to the daughter you restore to me. My lord, cried Madame d'Harville, what words are these? Oh, refuse me not, said Rodolphe tenderly. Let this day decide the happiness of my future life. Clemence had also nourished a deep and sincere passion for the prince, and his open, manly avowal of a similar feeling towards herself, made under such peculiar circumstances, transported her with joy, and she could but falter out in a hesitating voice, My lord, tis for me to remind you of the difference of our stations and the interests of your sovereignty. Permit me first to consider the interest of my own heart and that of my beloved child. Oh, make us both happy by consenting to be mine. So that I, who, but a short time since, owned no blessed tie, may now proudly indulge in the idea of having both a wife and daughter, and give to the sorrowing child who is just restored to my arms the delight of saying, My father, my mother, my sister, for your sweet girl would become mine also. Ah, oh, my lord, exclaimed Clémence, my grateful tears alone can speak my sense of such noble conduct. 
Then, suddenly checking herself, she added, I hear persons approaching, my lord. Your daughter comes. Refuse me not, I conjure you, responded Rodolph in an agitated and suppliant tone. By the love I bear you, I beseech you to make me happy by saying, Our daughter comes. Then be it our daughter, if such is your sincere wish, murmured Clémence, as Murphy, throwing open the door, introduced Fleur de Marie into the salon. The astonished girl had, upon entering the immense hotel from the spacious portico under which she alighted from the Marquise's carriage, first crossed an anteroom filled with servants dressed in rich liveries, then a waiting-room in which were other domestics belonging to the establishment, also wearing the magnificent livery of the house of Gerolstein, and lastly, the apartment in which the chamberlain and aide-de-camp of the prince attended his orders. The surprise and wonder of the poor goualeuse, whose ideas of splendor were based on the recollection of the farm at Bouqueval, as she traversed those princely chambers glittering with gold, silver paintings, and mirrors, may easily be imagined. Directly she appeared, Madame d'Harville ran towards her, kindly took her hand, and throwing her arm around her waist as though to support her, led her towards Rodolph, who remained supporting himself by leaning one arm on the chimney-piece, wholly incapable of advancing a single step. Having consigned Fleur de Marie to the care of Madame d'Harville, Murphy hastily retreated behind one of the large window-curtains, not feeling too sure of his own self-command. At the sight of him who was, in the eyes of Fleur de Marie, not only her benefactor but the worshipped idol of her heart, the poor girl, whose delicate frame had been so severely tried by illness, became seized with a universal trembling. "'Compose yourself, my child,' said Madame d'Harville. "'See, there is your kind Monsieur Rodolphe, who has been extremely uneasy on your account, and is most anxious to see you.' "'Oh, yes, uneasy, indeed.' stammered forth rodolph whose breast was wrung with anguish at the sight of his child's pale suffering looks in spite of his previous resolution the prince found himself compelled to turn away his head to conceal his deep emotion my poor child said madame d'harville striving to divert the attention of fleur de marie you are still very weak and leading her to a large gilded armchair she made her sit down while the astonished Goualeuse seemed almost to shrink from touching the elegant cushions with which it was lined. But she did not recover herself. On the contrary, she seemed oppressed. She strove to speak, but her voice failed her, and her heart reproached her with not having said one word to her venerated benefactor of the deep gratitude which filled her whole soul. At length, at a sign from Madame d'Harville, who, leaning over Fleur de Marie, held one of the poor girl's thin, wasted hands in hers, the prince gently approached the side of the chair, and now, more collected, he said to Fleur de Marie, as she turned her sweet face to welcome him, At last, my child, your friends have recovered you, and be sure it is not their intention ever to part with you again. One thing you must endeavor to do, and that is to banish forever from your mind all your past sufferings. Yes, my dear girl, said Clémence, you can in no way so effectually prove your affection for your friends as by forgetting the past. Ah, Monsieur Rodolphe, and you too, madame, pray believe that if, in spite of myself, my thoughts do revert to the past, it will be but to remind me that, but for you, that wretched past would still be my lot. 
but we shall take pains to prevent such mournful reminiscences ever crossing your mind. Our tenderness will not allow you time to look back, my dear Marie, said Rodolphe. You know I gave you that name at the farm. Oh, yes, Monsieur Rodolphe, I well remember you did. And Madame Georges, who was so good as even to permit me to call her mother, is she quite well? Perfectly so, my child. But I have some most important news for you. Since I last saw you, some great discoveries have been made respecting your birth. We have found out who were your parents, and your father is known to us. The voice of Rodolphe trembled so much while pronouncing these words that Fleur de Marie, herself deeply affected, turned quickly towards him, but fortunately he managed to conceal his countenance from her. A somewhat ridiculous occurrence also served at this instant to call off the attention of the Goualeuse from too closely observing the prince's emotion. The worthy squire, who still remained behind the curtain, feigning to be very busily occupied in gazing upon the garden belonging to the hotel, suddenly blew his nose with a twanging sound that re-echoed through the salon. For in truth, the worthy man was crying like a child. "'Yes, my dear Marie,' said Clémence hastily, your father is known to us. He is still living. My father, cried la Goualeuse, in a tone of tender delight, that subjected the firmness of Rodolphe to another difficult test. And some day, continued Clémence, perhaps very shortly, you will see him. But what will no doubt greatly astonish you is that he is of high rank and noble birth. And my mother, shall I not see her too, madame? That is a question your father will answer, my dear child. But tell me, shall you not be delighted to see him? Oh, yes, madame, answered Fleur de Marie, casting down her eyes. How much you will love him when you know him, said Clémence. A new existence will commence for you from that very day, will it not, Marie? asked the prince. Oh, no, Monsieur Rodolphe, replied Fleur de Marie artlessly. My new existence began when you took pity on me and sent me to the farm. But your father loves you fondly, dearly, said the prince. I know nothing of my father, Monsieur Rodolphe, but to you I owe everything in this world and the next. Then you love me better, perhaps, than you would your father? Oh, Monsieur Rodolphe, I revere and bless you with all my heart for you have been a saviour and preserver to me both of body and soul, replied la Goualeuse with a degree of fervour and enthusiasm that overcame her natural diffidence. When this kind lady was so good as to visit me in prison, I said to her, as I did to everyone else, Oh, if you have any trouble, only let Monsieur Rodolphe know it, and he will be sure to relieve you. And when I saw any person hesitating between good and evil, I used to advise them to try and be virtuous telling them Monsieur Rodolphe always found a way to punish the wicked. And to such as were far gone in sin, I said, Take care, Monsieur Rodolphe will recompense you as you deserve. And even when I thought myself dying, I felt comfort in persuading myself that God would pity and pardon me, since Monsieur Rodolphe had deigned to do so. Carried away by her intense feelings of gratitude and reverence for her benefactor, Fleur de Marie broke through her habitual timidity. While thus expressing herself, a bright flush colored her pale cheeks, while her soft blue eyes, raised towards heaven as though in earnest prayer, shone with unusual brilliancy. A silence of some seconds succeeded to this burst of enthusiasm, 
while the spectators of the scene were too deeply affected to attempt a reply. "'It seems, then, my dear child,' said Rodolphe at length, "'that I have almost usurped your parents' place in your affections.' "'Indeed, Monsieur Rodolphe, I cannot help it. Perhaps it is very wrong in me to prefer you as I do, but I know you, and my father is a stranger to me.' Then, letting her head fall on her bosom, she added, in a low, confused manner, "'And, besides, Monsieur Rodolphe, though you are acquainted with the past, you have loaded me with kindness, while my father is ignorant of—of—my shame, and may probably regret, when he does know, having found an unfortunate creature like myself. And then, too,' continued the poor girl with a shudder, "'Madame tells me he is of high birth. How then can he look upon me without shame and aversion? Shame? exclaimed Rodolph, drawing himself up with proud dignity. No, no, my poor child. Your grateful, happy father will raise you to a position so great, so brilliant, that the richest and highest in the land shall behold you with respect. Despise and blush for you. Never. You shall take your place among the first princesses of Europe and prove yourself worthy of the blood of queens which flows in your veins. "'My lord, my lord!' cried Clémence, and Murphy at the same time, equally alarmed at the excited manner of Rodolph, and the increasing paleness of Fleur de Marie, who gazed on her father in silent amazement. "'Ashamed of you!' continued he. "'Oh, if ever I rejoiced in my princely rank!' It is now that it affords me the means of raising you from the depths to which the wickedness of others consigned you. Yes, my child, my long-lost, idolized child, in me behold your father. And utterly unable longer to repress his feelings, the prince threw himself at the feet of Fleur de Marie and covered her hand with tears and caresses. Thanks, my God, exclaimed Fleur de Marie, passionately clasping her hands, for permitting me to indulge that love for my benefactor with which my heart was filled. My father? Oh, blessed title, that enables me to love him even as I... And unable to bear up against the suddenness of the disclosure, Fleur de Marie fell fainting in the prince's arms. Murphy rushed to the waiting-room and shouted vehemently, Send for Dr. David directly. Directly, do you hear? for his royal highness. No, no, for someone who is suddenly taken ill here. Wretch that I am, exclaimed Rodolph, sobbing almost hysterically at his daughter's feet. I have killed her. Marie, my child, look up. It is your father who calls you. Forgive. Oh, forgive my precipitancy. My want of caution in disclosing to you this happy news. She is dead. God of heaven, have I then but found her to see her torn from me forever? "'Calm yourself, my lord,' said Clémence. "'There is no danger. Depend upon it.' The colour returns to her cheeks. The surprise overcame her. But so recently risen from a bed of sickness that surprise may kill her. Unhappy man that I am, doomed forever to misery and suffering. At this moment the negro doctor David entered the room in great haste, holding in one hand a small case filled with files, and in the other a paper he handed to Murphy. David, exclaimed Rodolph, my child is dying. I once saved your life. Repay me now by saving that of my daughter. Although amazed at hearing the prince speak thus, David hurried to Fleur de Marie, whom Madame d'Harville was supporting in her arms, 
examined her pulse and the veins of her temples, then turning towards Rodolph, who in speechless agony was awaiting his decree, he said, "'Your Royal Highness has no cause for alarm. There is no danger. Can it be true? Are you quite sure she will recover?' "'Perfectly so, my lord. A few drops of ether administered in a glass of water is all that is requisite to restore consciousness.' "'Thanks, thanks, my good, my excellent David,' cried the prince in an ecstasy of joy. Then addressing Clémence, Rodolphe added, "'Our daughter will be spared to us.' Murphy had just glanced over the paper given him by David. Suddenly he started, and gazed with looks of terror at the prince. "'Yes, my old and faithful friend,' cried Rodolphe, misinterpreting the expression of Murphy's features. Ere long my daughter will enjoy the happiness of calling the Marquise d'Arville mother. Yesterday's news, said Murphy, trembling violently, was false. What say you? The report of the death of the Countess MacGregor, my lord, is unfounded. Her ladyship had undergone a severe crisis of her illness, and had fallen into a state of insensibility, which was mistaken by those around her for death itself, and from hence originated the account of her having expired but to-day hopes are entertained of her ultimate recovery. "'Merciful heavens! Can this be possible?' exclaimed the prince, filled with sudden alarm, while Clémence, who understood nothing of all this, looked on with undisguised astonishment. "'My lord,' said David, still occupied with Fleur de Marie, "'there is no need of the slightest apprehension respecting this young lady, but it is absolutely necessary she should be in the open air.' This chair might be easily rolled out on the terrace, by opening the door leading to the garden. She would then immediately recover consciousness. Murphy instantly ran to open the glass door, which led to a broad terrace, then aided by David, he gently rolled the armchair onto it. "'Alas!' cried Rodolphe, as soon as Murphy and David were at a distance. "'You have yet to learn that the Countess Sarah is the mother of Fleur de Marie. And I believed her dead!' A few moments of profound silence followed. Madame d'Arville became deadly pale, while an icy coldness seemed to chill her heart. "'Let me briefly explain,' continued Rodolphe, in extreme agitation mingled with bitter sarcasm, "'that this ambitious and selfish woman, caring for nothing but my rank and title, contrived, during my extreme youth, to draw me into a secret marriage, which was afterwards annulled, being desirous of contracting a second marriage, the countess occasioned all the misfortunes of her unhappy child by abandoning her to the care of mercenary and unprincipled people. Now I can account for the repugnance you manifested towards her. And you may likewise understand why she so bitterly pursued you and had twice so nearly effected your destruction by her infamous slanders. Still a prey to her insatiate ambition she hoped, by separating me from any other attachment, to draw me a second time within her snares. And this heartless woman still exists. Nay, nay, my lord, that tone of bitter regret is not worthy of you, any more than the feeling which dictated it. You do not know the wretchedness she has already caused me. And even now that I had dared to dream of happiness, and looked forward to obtaining anew the comfort and solace of my life, as well as a mother for my newly recovered child, this woman again crosses my path, and, like the spirit of evil, dashes the cup from my lips ere it is tasted. 
come come my lord said poor clemence striving to look cheerful though her tears flowed fast spite of all her efforts to restrain them take courage you have a great and holy duty to perform but just now when impelled by a natural burst of paternal affection you said that the future destiny of your daughter should be happy and prosperous as her past life had been the reverse that you would elevate her in the eyes of the world even more than she had been sunken and depressed to do this you must legitimize her birth and the only means by which that can be achieved is by espousing the countess macgregor never never that would be to reward the perjury selfishness and unbridled ambition of the unnatural mother of my poor child but marie shall not suffer by my resolution i will publicly acknowledge her you will kindly take her under your protection and i venture to hope afford her a truly maternal shelter no my lord you will not act thus you will not permit the cloud of doubt or mystery to hang over the birth of your daughter the countess sarah is descended from an ancient and noble family such an alliance is certainly disproportionate for you but still is an honourable one it will effectually legitimize your daughter and whatever may be her future destiny she will have cause to boast of her father and openly declare who was her mother but think not i can or will resign you it were easier to lay down my life than surrender the blessed hope of dividing my time and affection between two beings i so dearly love as yourself and my daughter your child will still remain to you my lord providence has miraculously restored her to you it would be sore ingratitude on your part to deem your happiness incomplete you could not argue thus if you loved as i love i will not undeceive you great as is your error on the contrary i would have you persist in that belief it will make the task i recommend less painful to you but if you really loved me if you suffered as bitterly and severely as i do at the thoughts of my marrying another you would be wretched as i am what will console you for our separation my lord i shall try to find solace in the discharge of my charitable duties duties i first learned to love and practice from your counsels and suggestions and which have already afforded me so much consolation and sweet occupation hear me i beseech you since you tell me it is right i will marry this woman but the sacrifice once accomplished think not i will remain a single hour with her or suffer her to behold my child thus fleur de marie will lose in you the best and tenderest of mothers but she will still retain the best and tenderest of fathers by your marriage with the countess sarah she will be the legitimate daughter of one of europe's sovereign princes and as you but just now observed my lord her position will be as great and splendid as it has been miserable and obscure you are then pitilessly determined to shut out all hope from me unhappy being that i am dare you style yourself unhappy you so good so just so elevated in rank as well as in mind and feeling who so well and nobly understand the duty of self-denial and self-sacrifice when but a short time since you bewailed your child's death with such heartfelt agony had any one said to you utter the dearest wish of your soul and it shall be accomplished you would have cried my child my daughter restore her to me in life and health this unexpected blessing is granted you your daughter is given to your longing arms and yet you style yourself miserable ah my lord let not fleur de marie hear you i beseech you 
you are right said rodolph after a long silence such happiness as i aspired to would have been too much for this world and far beyond my right even to dream of be satisfied your words have prevailed i will act according to my duty to my daughter and forget the bleeding wound it inflicts on my own heart but i am not sorry i hesitated in my resolution since i owe to it a fresh proof of the perfection of your character and is it not to you i owe the power of struggling with personal feelings and devoting myself to the good of others was it not you who raised and comforted my poor depressed mind and encouraged me to look for comfort where only it could be found to you then be all the merit of the little virtue i may now be practising as well as all the good i may hereafter achieve but take courage my lord bear up as becomes one of your firm right-minded nature directly fleur-de-marie is equal to the journey remove her to germany once there she will benefit so greatly by the grave tranquillity of the country that her mind and feelings will be soothed and calmed down to a placidity and gentle enjoyment of the present while the past will seem but as a troubled dream but you you ah i may confess with joy and pride that my love for you will be as it were a shield of defence from all snares and temptations a guardian angel that will preserve me from all that could assail me in body or mind then i shall write to you daily pardon me this weakness tis the only one i shall allow myself you my lord will also write to me occasionally if but to give me intelligence of her whom once at least i called my daughter said clemence melting into tears at the thoughts of all she was giving up and who will ever be fondly cherished in my heart as such and when advancing years shall permit me fearlessly and openly to avow the regard which binds us to each other then my lord i vow by your daughter that if you desire it i will establish myself in germany in the same city you yourself inhabit never again to quit you but so to end a life which might have been passed more agreeably as far as our earthly feelings were concerned but which shall at least have been spent in the practice of every noble and virtuous feeling my lord exclaimed murphy entering with eagerness she whom heaven has restored to you has regained her senses her first word upon recovering consciousness was to call for you my father my beloved father she cried oh do not take me from him come to her my lord she is all impatience again to behold you a few minutes after this madame d'harville quitted the prince's hotel while the latter repaired in all haste to the house of the countess macgregor accompanied by murphy baron de Groen, and an aide-de-camp chapter six read by celine major